Well, as things are winding down for us in the book of James, it's been a fun journey as we've continually asked God for this practical wisdom that comes from above. And I think that He has been faithful to answer that prayer in the times that we've gone to Him and not wavering, not doubting, but we've said, God, will You give us wisdom from above? I think He's been faithful to do that. Last week we, we saw that James gave a warning again to the rich in the sense of those who trust in their money, their material things. And he gave an encouragement by giving this warning to the rich. He gave an encouragement to the Christians in this day and the Christians today as they cry out against the injustice that's all around. And ultimately, what James was explaining to us again by the power of the Holy Spirit is that those who are condemning others, those who are using their riches not to to bless others, but are using other people to get more riches, those riches are not going to help them in the end. And even more so, those riches are actually going to testify against them. And James had an encouragement to us for us to be patient and endure, establishing our hearts and waiting for the coming of the Lord. Because this life just sometimes is not easy. And things don't seem to go the way we think that they should. But James's encouragement was, be patient, establish your hearts in the Lord, and He will make all things right. So as he continues on, we're going to pick up right there in verse 9, and see what last words James has for us today. Verse 9, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Now, there's been multiple times throughout the book of James so far that he's talked about the tongue. Do we remember that? Yeah. There's been some hard times where James, James has pointed out for us that our tongues, sometimes we use them to curse our brothers and sisters. And we need to repent of that and stop it. So he goes back to this theme a little bit and he says, do not grumble against one another. What's interesting is this is right in the context of suffering. You ever notice that when things start to go south a little bit, there are some who begin to grumble and complain. And the thing is, it's starting to go poorly, and so what they want to do is they want to find a place or a person to blame. You'll see it definitely with you know, groups, sports teams, things of that nature. Something starts to go poorly for the team. All of a sudden, the press... Whose fault is it? What's happening? And then... They're, allowed, they're outside of that. They're not part of the team. Here's the problem. Sometimes what happens on the team is they start pointing at one another. And that's what James is talking about. Don't do that. Be patient with one another. Even though there's suffering, even though there's trials, even though there's difficulties, do not think highly of yourself and start to grumble and point the finger at others. But be humble and speak kind words of one another. And to one another. 
And his warning there is so that you may not be judged. And then he says, behold, the judge is standing at the door. When I was thinking through this, I thought about sometimes I'll go into the children's room, one of the children's rooms, and they'll be playing. But I'm sitting out in the living room perhaps, and, and all of a sudden you start to hear some grumbling against one another. You start to hear some words that aren't very encouraging, aren't very helpful. And so usually Heather and I look at each other, and I'm, I'm hoping she's going to get up and go handle it because I'm a lazy, <laughs> lazy husband and father sometimes when that's when I need to be the dad. And I need to get up and I need to go in there. But I'm right in the middle of playing my important game on my phone. I really don't want to do that. I have to love my children enough to get up, to care. So I go in and I get to their bedroom door and there's always at least one or two whose backs are to the door, right? And then there's the other ones who see me. And so... As I come to the door, and sometimes they can hear my footsteps, so i got to be honest, sometimes I'm kind of going quietly so I can catch them in the middle of it, right? So I go up to the door, and I get there, and you can immediately see the ones who see me. Well, guys, I don't know if we should be doing this. We should be loving one another. I don't know if we should be arguing, right? The ones who don't see me, yeah, they're not thinking the same thing. They're thinking, yeah, I'm going to get my way. Because for them in that situation, not judge in the sense of Christ, but the authority is standing at the door. So I think what James is reminding us here is, again, certainly Jesus died for all of our sin. Yes? Yes. Yes. And he separates our sin. He separates it from as far as the east is from the west, right? We don't... Okay. But we still will give an account. All people still give an account for what we've done, Christians or non-Christians. Now again, for the Christian, when we give this account, it then gets wiped away. But it still will be a time where we'll give an account for the way we've treated one another, the way we've used the gifts, the blessings, the things that we've had. We'll give an account for how we've used those things. I think James is reminding us here, be careful. Even in the, middle of, in the midst of suffering, don't fall and start speaking poorly of your brothers and sisters. Don't do that. And he reminds us with a little bit of the, the judges at the door. Be careful. Verse 10, as an example of suffering and patience, again, this is why we know that this is the topic. It was spoken about just before being patient. Then he gives this exhortation, and now we're back into this discussion of suffering and patience. So we know that's what he seems to be talking about here. Verse 10, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. The prophets. What does a prophet do? Somebody give me an answer. What does a prophet do? Prophets, I speak on behalf of the Lord. Hebrews 11, if you're able to, it should come up on this as well, but Hebrews 11, specifically verse 32, I'm going to start reading there. Listen to the, what the writer of Hebrews says, and what more shall I say for, 
For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephetheth, David, and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. So he's listing all these great things that they've done, the prophets. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. Tradition says that that was Isaiah. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. All of these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. He's talking a lot about, in this section, about faith, but he shows you there the writer of Hebrews, about the prophets. So going back into James now, as an example of suffering and patience, do you think that that's a pretty good example of suffering and patience when you hear from Hebrews the things that the prophets went through? Yeah. You can think of Jeremiah, you can think of others who suffered. And what were they doing wrong? Right? Peter talks about this. It's one thing, to suffer and be in prisons and people to speak poorly about you because you're a jerk. Because you've done things wrong. There's no glory in that. You've done wrong. You suffer. But what about the prophets that he's talking about here? It doesn't mean they never, they'd never done anything wrong, meaning they're without sin. No, they're certainly sin. But they were proclaiming the truths of God. And as they proclaimed the truths of God, all those things happened to him, to them. So what James is saying is, if you want an example of patience and suffering, you could look to the prophets. I would also encourage you that we can look to our Savior. If you want an example of patience and suffering, the prophets, they could have run away. Jesus is very clear if he wanted to at any point. He could have said, all right, angels, let's end everybody that's, how, that's causing me issue. That means when you actually have the authority to do something about it and you still step back and don't, that's great patience. That's the kind of Savior that we follow. So James gives us, and I think why he does that, he could point us to Christ, but then we go, oh, but Christ is different. So he points us to prophets. Now again, prophets were chosen by God to do a great work, but... Were they any different? Are they any more special than the rest of us? No. They're not any different as far as they're... Oh, they're more righteous than we are. No. They have the same nature we have. So he goes to the example of the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord, which is important. Then he goes to verse 11. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. They're blessed by God. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. How many know the story of Job? 
Okay, good. Put most of you there. Story of Job. Life's pretty good for Job. Right? Wife, kids, successful. And then we see one of the strangest things in all of Scripture. We see this dialogue between Satan and God. And Satan's accusation ultimately is, well, you blessed him. It's real easy to follow you, God, if you just give somebody everything. You take that stuff away, see what he does. So, God permits, allows, notice that there, Satan just doesn't get to go do it on his own. He needs permission from God. So I've said this before, it is not Jesus versus Satan in an arm wrestling match, and they're going back and forth. That is not how it goes. Jesus, sovereign God is sovereign and over, and Satan can only do what God allows him to do. Don't ever forget that. When things are looking, this nation, things in my family, things are going on, it's out of control from our perspective. Realize it is not out of control from God's perspective. He is sovereign. He is good. He's over all things. So in that, we see Job his life gets turned upside down. Does it not? Death, family member's sickness, loses everything. Sometimes when we think about the story of Job, though, we actually take this part here. Oh, the steadfastness of Job. Because all that happened to him and he didn't sin. Is that actually biblical? That's not actually biblical. Now, when he first responds, he does a good job. He's responding well. But as, the, as this chapters unfold, you actually see that Job, what does he start to do? He starts to question God, doesn't he? Because he's like, what is going on? Question. You ever been there? Question. How many of you are there right now with stuff going on? You're saying, I don't know, God. Deep in your heart, you're saying, I don't know about this. I don't know if you've got it all together up there. I'm not sure. What's interesting... Job 42, James is praising, giving Job as an example, but we know that, Jim, that Job falls, that he does question the Lord. Listen to what happens in Job 42 at the end of the book, though. After all this, the Lord, he spends a few chapters <laughs> setting Job in his place. He does, and that's good for us to read whenever we're going, why, God? Go read. 41 and 40 of Job. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me. Things are going terrible, but God puts him in his place and he says, you know what? You're doing something too wonderful for me to understand. That's humility. I can't see it, God. It's too wonderful for me to understand. Which I did not know. Hear and I will speak. I will question you and you make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. 
Why does James use him then as an example? Why is he using him as an example of steadfastness when he doubted the Lord? Because here's the key. It's not that we don't ever question or doubt or have issues. It's when we're confronted with the truth of who God is and His Word, how do we respond? Job questioned. He's been put in his place and he responds the right way. Do you know what Job gets in this life at the end? Not that we're always going to get things in this life. At the end of his life, God doubles everything he had before. So I think, going back into James, what's being said here is, this, you have heard of the steadfastness of Job. He's using that as an example that when Job is confronted with his own sin and things, he goes back to trusting in the Lord. These hills and valleys that we're all in, guys, we're all in it together. Nobody's perfect. Nobody has it all figured out. As we go through those, do we keep coming back to that the Lord is good? The Lord is good. The Lord is good. You have seen the purpose of the Lord and how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. In that story, we we still see that God is doing all things for His glory and for Job's good, ultimately. Because Job wasn't there at the beginning of the story. He wasn't a man who would say, I don't know my place, but now I do. So God was being kind in all this tragedy, in all these valleys. He was being kind to show Job his glory and Job's own sinfulness. And ultimately, he then blesses him and gives him more. And so here's the thing, Christian. I don't know if you'll get in this life those things back, but what you are promised is everything in Jesus. Everything in Jesus. Verse 12 kind of has a switch here now. He's kind of concluding the letter. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Have you heard this yes and no thing before from anybody else? Right? Jesus talks about this. And who's James? Jesus' half-brother. There's been multiple times we've seen some of James's, Jesus' teachings come out in James. I need four volunteers. Roy's going to be one. Thank you, Roy. That's fantastic. He's just, you know, he, I, I can barely even get it out. And he's like, oh, I'm, I wanted to get up there. Leanna, you can come up too. I need two more. Okay, Rachel, come on up here. And Chloe, come on. Okay, come on up here, guys. Okay. Stand side by side if you guys would here. Great. So, I've got my pen here, and I want to be a man where my yes is yes, and my no is no, you know? So, I'm telling Roy, Roy, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to draw on your face. I'm not going to draw on your face. That's good. Right? That's good. He's, he's glad with that. So, I'm not, I'm, I'm just going to be close. Just close. I'm not really going to draw on your face at all. That's a little too close, I think. (laughs) Why did Roy just stand here and let me do that? Why why didn't he say, oh, no, no, you're not doing that? Trust. Trust. He's trusting that I wouldn't do it. There's trust there because hopefully he views me as a man of my word. Did I draw on Roy's face? No. No. It sure felt like it. It felt like it. 
<laughs> I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to draw on your face. Get out of here. Yeah, but now you're really drawing. Oh. Why did you let me draw on your face? I trusted that I wouldn't. I said I wouldn't. But I, I did it. Sorry. Hi. Listen, listen, hey. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna draw on your face. Don't look at the pen. I'm not gonna draw on your face. I did you see? Where'd she go? Where'd she go? Alright, alright. I swear. I swear I'm not going to draw on your face, okay? I swear. <laughs> Do you see that? I don't know. <laughs> it's a heart. I'm not going to draw on your face. Why would you? Why would you think? Okay. I really promise this time, under God, I put my hand on the Bible, I swear there's no way I'm going to do this. Are you nervous? Go ahead, go ahead and sit down. Go ahead, thank you. You can wipe that off afterwards. Or Thank you, give them a hand for that. When I haven't broken my word to Roy, no problem. He'll just stand still. Even though the situation doesn't look good, he just stands still because there's trust. Moves to Leanna. She trusts. But then I let her down. And moving on to Rachel now, what do we see? Right? Because I'm not a man of my word. So now I'm trying to swear by something higher than myself. Because I can't be trusted. And she's still, Because eh. if you can't be trusted in the first place, swearing by something else doesn't make a difference. And then, moving on to Chloe, you never know what you're going to get. And that's unstable. And we don't want to be a people like that. We'll bring condemnation on ourselves because we're not somebody that can be trusted. Does that make sense? You tracking with me? Okay, let's get back into the text. Thank you guys again. Verse 13. Interesting little ending here. Is anyone among you suffering? Are you? Are you suffering? Do you have family members that are suffering? What should we do when we suffer? James says, let him pray. A lot of times when we're going through suffering, that's not our first response. A lot of times we'll go and we'll talk to a lot of other people about the suffering, sometimes, but we forget to talk to God about it. Listen, talking to others is okay. Getting other people to pray for you, things like that, that's okay. Everything starts and stops with God. That's where we need to be. This can be physical suffering, certainly. I think it's also included emotional suffering, spiritual suffering. The place to go is to God. Go to talk with Him 
And part of that is praying Scripture to him, his own words. He loves to hear his own words. Pray his word to him. So those of you who are suffering, since I wrote on their faces, that's this side, you guys are the suffering, guess what? Pray. Is anyone cheerful? Joyful? That's you guys. Guess what you do? Let him sing praises. Do you know what that kind of is as well? It's like prayer. You're singing to your God. A lot of times when things are going well, we forget to praise God during those times, do we not? Sometimes it's easier when you're over here and the suffering starts. Sometimes that's actually easier to start praying. But over here when things are smooth, going well, we forget to praise the one who's allowing that, who's doing that. If the suffering comes, we know that he's still working good. He's still doing these things to help us for his glory, for our good. We know that. So we pray for strength. But over here we need to sing praises. Because guess what? When you sing praises, do you think that, just listen to that. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praises. Is that something that, Miss Donna, you're an expert in this area. Do you sing silently, normally? No. No. When we sing praises, it encourages us because we hear ourselves singing. But you know what else it does? Other people, the body of Christ that are encouraged. And those people who are lost, they hear it. Now it gets interesting. (laughs) Verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? Physically, definitely is included in here. Possibly, spiritually. Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. A couple things that stand out here. Let him call for the elders of the church. Since arriving, one of the conversations we've been having over and over again is we want to be biblical. We want to follow Scripture. We know there are two offices that are in the church. Elders, or pastors is another word for it, and deacons. We have been continuing to move forward with trying to be faithful to Scripture as we see Men who are qualified to be deacons, and we have deacons now who are serving and doing a great job and helping me, freeing me up to be able to devote myself to the ministry of the Word and prayer. Thank you, men and your wives. But we also see here in James, among other places, where it talks about elders. I'm not great when it comes to grammar and things, but what does an S on the end of elder mean? Plural. As long as there are qualified men that meet the qualifications we see in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus 1, then we should have them. And we're continuing to move that direction. But here is part of the discussion is some will say, there's no such thing as elders. It's in the Bible. It's to be those men. Again, it's another word for pastors or even bishop. Okay? Those words, you can use them interchangeably. We don't in a lot of cases. And there are other denominations who have made bishop into something different. It's just this. But here's the thing. When it's just one, one pastor to try to shepherd this flock, 
Do you know how hard that is? Think about all the different things going on in your hearts and your lives. You've got so much going on. Part of it is we're hoping that God will raise up other elders, other biblically qualified men to help shepherd the flock. And part of what we're about to see is you're to help, you're to shepherd one another as well. You're to care for one another to help me do this. Because I may not see, if it's just me, I may not see that Annie's going off track over there. She's not. She's fine. She's here. She's doing great. But I may not see it because I'm focused over here. I'm talking with George and Alice about their marriage. I don't see what's happening. But if the other sheep are paying attention, if she starts to wander, what are you going to say? Come back. Come back, Pastor Billy. We've got... And he's going that way. We work together. But there is this special idea here. This is not the gifting of healing, although we see that in Scripture. That's being talked about here. Let him call the elders. Let them pray over him, or her, of course, anointing him with oil. What's going on there? The only other place we really see this in the New Testament is Mark chapter 6, verse 13. And what happens is it's talking about the disciples and it says that they were anointing people with oil and they were being healed. Some go too far with this. Some think that there is some special essential oil. <laughs> some oil that's holy and it can do something magical. Okay, That's witchcraft. That's not Christianity. Yes, oils, natural oils, can be helpful for healing. And that may be part of what's being mentioned here, possibly. But I think there's a spiritual side to it that's being pointed out here as well. Part of the oil is the anointing and setting apart, I believe, of that person in that scenario. And it's more of a physical side to the spiritual thing that's happening. So if Leanna were sick, and and again, this this person is sick enough that they can't seem to go anywhere. This is pretty serious. And they now can't seem to go anywhere. They're calling the elders to come and pray. And again, why the elders? Because they're supposed to be, as we're going to see, they're supposed to be righteous men. doesn't mean they're perfect and their righteousness comes from Christ, but they are to be above reproach in such a way that they would know the will of God. Okay, That's the point there. That's why we cannot have pastors like we have all across this nation who are into unrepentant sin and not truly following Christ. When we don't have godly leaders, then guess what? The church will not be godly. So if Leanna is so sick that I'm called to go, and she's in my house, but for the, for the example, I go and I pray. I would bring oil to pray for her, and I'd anoint her with that. Again, maybe there would be some benefit with the oil itself, but ultimately it would be, it'd be a symbol to show God, we're setting this time apart, these prayers, and we believe that you can work in her, you can heal her, and we're doing this with so much faith. Remember, remember in James, right? Not doubting. We're not wavering on this. We know that you can, but we're also going to pray in accordance with your will, always. And that oil, I think, is more for that anointing, that setting apart of, of who we're focusing on. And ultimately, God, this is the target. This is who we're praying for. And the prayer... And notice, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. That's, that, that's key, because it's the Lord who will heal. It's not me, it's not the elders, it's the Lord who heals. Almost done. 
And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And then, notice it doesn't just stop there. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. This is important because sometimes our sickness is linked to sin. It is. But not every time. We can't lose sight of that. We see in John chapter 9 uh, a situation where people are trying to figure out why this person had the sickness the way they had, this issue. And it was, Jesus is clear, it's so that the glory of God could be seen. Didn't do anything wrong for the glory of God. So realize that when we have these sicknesses, one of the first areas we need to check is, is there sin? Is this a consequence of my own sin? Somebody else's sin? I need to repent of that. Is this discipline from God? He disciplines those He loves, right? When I catch my kids when I'm standing at the door and I catch them doing something, I just don't go, well, guys, hmm, and walk away. We have some conversations. Sometimes those conversations don't go as well for them. They're not excited about that. But when we discipline, it's always we say, it's because we love you that we're disciplining you. And the Lord does the same with us. So we have to ask the question, when there's sickness and things, is there sin involved? And during that time, the confessing and repenting of sin, and those sins would be forgiven. But it doesn't always mean that it's because of sin. And so we can ask God to heal. Sometimes he does, sometimes he doesn't. But if it's in accordance with his will, and it is, these these prayers of the righteous, these elders, again, righteous because of the righteousness of Christ, and that they're following him, full of his spirit, from what I see in James, the Lord will heal them. Notice it's not the faith of the person. You notice that? That is twisted so often today. Oh, you have this sickness? Come to me, and I'll even put oil on you. Be healed! And they're not healed. Oh, well, you didn't have enough faith. Notice how that's not even an option here? It's interesting how the Lord combats those things. Listen to this, verse 16. We're growing in this. We need to understand this. This is where it moves from just the elders. Check this out. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. Who's doing that? Who's he talking to? Is that just the elders he's talking to now? That's you guys. That's nobody else's business. Guess you don't want to be healed. I guess you don't want to have peace. Now again, there are times that you may have sin that you need to share with one other person. But if there's sin, especially in this context where they're talking about other people, using their tongue to hurt other people, as far as the sin has hurt people, that's how far you need to confess it. So if I've done something publicly because I'm the pastor and it has touched the whole congregation, then I don't get to just go to George and tell him my sin. It doesn't work that way. I need to tell everybody. However, there may be a situation where I have a private sin of some sort and I need to find a brother that I can talk to and tell him about my sin and ask him to pray for me and so on and so forth. Does that make sense? This is wonderful. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another, not just confessing the sin, but actually praying for one another. And in some incredible way, you will be healed. And I think that we've seen a lot of that since I've gotten here. And you're doing a great job and keep it up. 
The prayer of the righteous person has great power as it is working. That's pretty straightforward. Elijah, many of you familiar with Elijah? Show of hands, a couple of you. Okay. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. What's his nature like? Ours. Not different. Now again, did he do some pretty incredible things? Did God do some pretty incredible things through him? But his nature is just like ours. James is very careful to show us. He's not talking about all those other things he's doing. He's saying, hey, Elijah's just like you. He prayed fervently that it might not rain for three years and six months. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Have you ever thought about that? That's incredible. He prays fervently. Now, is that just a, he throws it up kind of like before he's going to bed and he's on, or his head on his pillow and he's starting to fall asleep and, oh God, could you please not let it rain? Is that what he's doing? How many of us are that's our prayer time? Yeah, be careful there, right? Our prayers, are they, are they fervent? Are we crying out to God? Are we in our prayer closet warring? Are we just before we go to sleep and you almost get through the prayer and then you're out? You've got to be very careful, okay? So we even see that even Elijah, he was going to be fervent with his prayers and the Lord actually stopped the rain for three years and six months. We see this in 1 Kings 17, 18. If you want to read about it, go to 1 Kings. It's incredible. Do you know why he prayed that? It's tied to sin. Just like this passage, there's this, this communication of sin. The king at the time was leading everybody to worship false idols. And so, out of his heart, Elijah said, I want to pray for the rain to stop. Why? So the people would repent. And then, look what the text says. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. You know when he prayed again, it didn't happen right away? It's pretty quick, but if you go to the story, read about it, he actually sends his servant to go and look on the horizon. And he had, I think it was seven times total he had to keep going to look. It's an encouragement to us about our prayers. We need to persevere in prayer for our church, for our families, for our community, for our nation, for this world. <clears throat> Last two verses. My brothers, if any among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, okay? We're here together. We used Annie for a second there, but they wander away. They're wandering away from the truth. Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Do we love each other enough that when we see one another wandering away, I care for your soul enough and I don't want there to be more sin in your life and in this world, so I'm going to care enough to come and lovingly say to you what's going on. James has been extremely helpful for us, I think, as a church. There's so many different things that we see that James says, if you're following Jesus, this is what it practically looks like. And if we continue to ask God for this practical wisdom to do these things, not so that God will love us, to do these things that flow out of true faith. Again, those works are not going to save us, but if we have true faith, as we talked about before, those works are going to come. And so the encouragement is, let's continue to do this together. Let's pursue Christ together, and let's pursue one another. If Christ, God pursues us, shouldn't we pursue one another in love? Let's go ahead and pray together.
God of all wisdom, you are righteous, you are good, you are holy, you are powerful, you are all knowing, you are all loving. Lord, we are thankful for the fact that you have given us the book of James so we could seek your wisdom, ask for it. Lord, we could know how to live lives of holiness with one another, how we could pursue one another, Lord, how we can care for one another, how we can live separate from the world and live in such a way that brings you honor and glory. I pray for my friends in here today. I pray for my family in here today. My faith family, Lord. I pray that if anyone in here, Lord, does not know you, they're not part of your family. They have not been adopted in. They have not trusted in the sinless, perfect life of Christ, His death on the cross in our place for our sins, and how after three days He rose for our justification. He's at your right hand and one day is coming back. Lord, if they have not done that, I pray that they would today. They would become part of our family. Lord, if I pray that there's some in here or some that aren't here today that are part of us, but they're wandering away, I pray that we would pursue them. Give us strength to pursue them. Give us a, a heart that loves enough to go and pursue them. I pray we would have such unity that we could even confess our sins and pray with one another and pray for one another. Lord, if we have any other issues going on, I pray that you'd work in our hearts today and help us to repent. I'm so thankful for these brothers and sisters. Please continue to work in us. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.